Welcome to the Jester's Court. I'm your host, Bradley Geyser. Um, if you listened to that little mini episode you did, you know why I did, haven't recorded in a couple weeks. With everything going on in the world, I figured, hey, we don't need another white guy on a podcast telling us how to fix things. You can go listen to people with far more expertise on me, but when I came back, I wanted someone with more expertise than me. And with that, I wanted Damian Barling. He's one of my favorite people in the local sports media. His podcast is one of my favorite sports podcasts. One of the most well-informed people I know about just all these issues. Always has knowledge for me. I can shoot him a question. He answers it for me. I appreciate it. So how's it going, Damien? That's a heck of an introduction. I appreciate that, my friend. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Like, you seriously have been so important to me in all this. Like, just talking to you, seeing your tweets even. I was listening to your, we'll do an early plug on this. I was listening to your Stay Conscious podcast which you have on your Patreon, which you can guide them to however you want. But you had, forgive me for if I screw up her name, Renee Cunningham? Renee Montgomery. Yeah, Montgomery, Renee absolutely. Montgomery. Yeah, yeah, she played. She was actually a part of the Minnesota Lynx team that wore, if, if you recall, they wore essentially what were Black Lives Matter t-shirts uh, two months before Cap you know, was spotted sitting on the bench uh, in that preseason game for the San Francisco 49ers about four or five months before uh, LeBron James and, and and many members of the NBA wore those "I Can't Breathe" T-shirts, and you know this was in Minnesota, which has kind of been at the 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 centerpiece of of everything that's gone on over the course of the last couple of weeks. And I thought it would be interesting to get her firsthand account of what it was like. And you know the the, the police force there in Minnesota had a very strong reaction to that display by those by those women. And uh, she was also you know she was in downtown Atlanta. When, you know, that, that, that weekend when there were, you know, a lot of peaceful protests going along with the, you know, a lot of people who were reacting in a more, you know, violent and aggressive manner. And she was, you know, documenting it all firsthand on her, on her uh, Twitter account. And I thought, you know, I, one, I need to call check on her, see how she's doing. I didn't know she was a little, you know, rattled that evening, but two, I thought, you know, there's, there's an interesting story to hear, particularly as it pertains to the Minnesota Lynx and that that original demonstration that they had way back in 2016. Yeah. And now she's in Atlanta where there's other, where there's other protests going on and stuff. So she's been in the center of all this. And she made an interesting point about her mom looking back at Detroit, I believe the rights in Detroit. Yeah. And how yeah, they Detroit, both kind of have this shared memory now. I thought that was, interesting. yeah, it's, 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 it's a shame, actually. <laughs> you know, yeah. like you, you, know yeah. you hear that, and, it, and it's kind of this, like, oh, it's, it's, like this, it's like this touching moment. Like, you know, mother and daughter have this, you know, this tie now to you know, uh, reactions to, you know, very racially charged moments in their history. But it's like, okay, wait a minute. That's not a charming moment at all. Like, that's, that's actually, that's a horrible thing. That was, you know, 60 years ago. Her mom was really young in that moment in Detroit. But... Yeah, it's um, it it's weird, man. It's it's weird to see the same battles. It's amazing yeah. to see, you know, the same battles being fought here in 2020 that were being fought back in, you know, the 60s and well before then. If you guys haven't noticed, this is going to be a politically charged episode. If you consider this thing political, I don't. But man, that's this- not why I. That's <laughs> not why I subscribe to the King's Herald, Brad. I want to hear sports. I want you to talk about Bogey and Harry. You're gonna. <laughs> You're going to get in trouble, man. I've, I've been down this road, brother. You're going to get in big trouble. I've done a couple 
relatively hot button episodes. I haven't gotten too much feedback. The the one star reviews on this are just about my stupid voice. So, <laughs> oh, that's charming. Yeah, you know, that's charming. I think you have. I think you have a nice voice. Yeah, I I just I need that Pharrell voice. That uh, not oh, not God, singer no, Pharrell. Nobody, <laughs> needs nobody needs that. Absolutely <laughs> nobody. I thought that was a joke the first time I heard it. Every time I hear it, I'm convinced it's a joke. I'm convinced somebody high up at, what is it, like Fox Sports or whatever network he's with, just thinks it's funny. Like, you know, you want to play a practical joke on the entire country? Let's put this guy on. <laughs> at like 10 o'clock at night or whenever. It oh, is. gosh. You just want, you want, you want to have nightmares? Here, listen to this guy. <laughs> but it's, it's amazing that talk radio is not doing better with stuff like that. No, it's not. It's not amazing. It's actually predictable. I mean, particularly because, <laughs> you know, media is, you know, sports media, but, but is, is something I've been focusing on lately over the course of the last, uh, last couple of weeks. But media in general, it's changed and it's different. And as the market size starts to dwindle and market 25, you know, or 24 or whatever Sacramento is, wasn't a small market. You know what I mean? Like it was something like, and your, your paycheck reflected that. If you were in the top 25, you never wanted to be 26. <laughs> you wanted to be 25 or up because there was one through five. There was one through 10. It was top 15. The top 25 was important. And now it's as you start to get out of the top five, as you start to get out of the top 10, you see changes in media and you see like multiple radio personalities. Like if you're on the FM side, there are radio personalities who work across like three stations or two stations. There are media personalities that work across multiple markets within the same, you know, media conglomerate. Like if you work for Intercom in Sacramento, you might host a show for Intercom in Seattle. And it's the, it's, it's the constant like devaluing of media just in America and particularly like in broadcast media, it's been just dwindled down in sports media is perhaps the worst as evidenced by what's going on here in Sacramento when you only have, you have two local sports stations, but you only have two local sports shows. Yeah. And neither one of those entities are willing to invest money into making their radio stations better. Their arguments are where the stations don't make money. Sports radio is a niche group and we don't make money with this niche group. So we're not going to put a lot of money into it. In ESPN's case, they don't put any money into it. And my argument has always been in every walk of life, you got to spend money to make money. You guys have a team full of account executives that go out and sell. And you tell these businesses, you need to spend money to make money. You need to spend money to drive people to your business. And my feeling is you need to spend money on your radio talent. You need to spend money on your radio talent to drive money you know, from your advertisers, to bring in money from your advertisers. But there's you know, one guy in particular who, who runs KHDK who is just, he is, he is almost single-handedly responsible for just tearing down what is sports radio in this city by not really caring about what's on KHDK. Just kind of throwing his shoulders up like, oh, Grant, been here forever, we'll just leave him there even though nobody listens to it anymore. You know, the other guy in the morning, whatever, and we'll just throw on local, uh, we'll throw on syndicated garbage throughout the day because we don't have to pay for it. And all the while, we can still keep the kings. And so it's just media right now is in a bad, bad, bad place. And it needs to be 
fixed. It needs to be corrected. And uh, we've got uh, like Sacramento broadcast media has to be corrected because I know that there are people in Sac State and Consumers River College. I know there are people that aren't in college that are eager to learn about broadcast media. And we've we've got to find them. We've got to get them a place to work. We've got to get them a place to learn their craft because it's frustrating, man. It's frustrating seeing stations that I grew up listening to ultimately just wind up like, dude, what is this? This is worthless now. And it was really apparent over the course of the last few weeks. Some of the things, you know, that was happening on broadcast radio over the course of the last few weeks was really frustrating for me. Like, I don't, you know, when, when there were protests in downtown Sacramento, I didn't have anybody to listen to. You know, there was no one on the air. Whether there's all there's all these hip hop stations in Sacramento. There's like three of them. You could call the end a pop station if you want to, but it's ultimately a hip hop station. Yeah. It's like, why are there no black voices on these stations? Like, how are you? How do you have all of this black music and all of this these black artists, but you don't have any black voices to talk about it? And it, it, it at one point, like, it started out as a frustration, Brad, and then it became infuriating. Yeah, I got angry about it. And I started firing off emails to people about this. And so, you know, I don't know. These are, these are, these are just things that, that, that have got to be fixed. Well, thank God for podcasts. It, you know, and, and, that's, and that's it. And, and you know, that's, it. That's, that's the other thing. I've, I say this all the time, and I can happily acknowledge this. If I had lost a job in San Francisco and had attempted to step out and have an audience, like anybody can do a podcast, but you want to yeah. have a podcast with an audience. If I had tried to do this in San Francisco, I would have failed miserably. I would have had a few people that liked me and would have followed me to the podcast platform, and that would have been cool. But ultimately, the game and KMBR, they take sports radio very, very seriously. There are more people working on the midday show at the game than work at all of KHDK. There, there are, I mean, hell, once you factor in ESPN, there are more people working on the midday show at the game than work on KHDK and ESPN combined. And... I can only carve out the niche in the sports media world here in Sacramento because these two radio stations don't take sports talk seriously. And people in this market, they love sports talk. They love sports, not just Sacramento, not just the A's and not just the Giants or the Raiders or the 49ers. This market loves sports and they really don't have anywhere to turn for it. Um, So I've been able to, thankfully, uh, for the... Uh, the laziness of these two radio stations, I've been able to carve out a niche here in the podcast world. And that's what I want to influence other people to do. Like if you, if you want to hone your craft and you can't get in at one of these radio stations and the chances of you getting in, especially right now, given that we're living through the end of the world, start a podcast, man. If you don't know how, shoot, call me. I'll help you start a podcast. People will listen. Like if you're good and you give good content, people will listen. And this isn't like a wildly successful podcast, but every once in a while I look at the listenership and I'm like, people are listening to me? What? I'm sure people who are listening think the same thing. Yeah. I'm listening to Brad? Yeah. Yeah, I'm the podcast. By the way, not to talk over you, what you guys are doing at the King Herald is freaking awesome. Oh, absolutely. I I love your website. I love everything you guys have done. Uh, I, 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 think I've only like I've I've met you probably I you know maybe I don't even know that I've met anyone else except for you uh on this uh, on that website man and I'm just you guys are all awesome and I'm 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 just so proud for what you guys are doing it's it's pretty amazing it's very motivating also it's awesome I appreciate it. yeah and it's like when we talked about it 
I've done episodes on this, but there's so much that goes into that. We didn't just make a, we didn't just go to Squarespace and type in some words and all this happened. There's so much, the logo, the name, all that. It's so satisfying now. You know, I love Sackdown Royalty and Tom Ziller, like he is so important to this whole fan community and what he built the Sackdown Royalty is amazing. But right now we're just an entirely independent company that doesn't have to worry about anything else but ourselves. And it's a other. great feeling too, isn't it? Yeah. And you know what? And I know you guys have one of these too. And it's, it's an amazing thing to, to start a Patreon account and to see people like subscribe to it. Like, I, I just like, it's, I, I do a daily podcast that is completely free on every podcast platform on the planet. But I thought, well, you know, Be Conscious was really popular. Maybe I can leverage that. I've got to figure out some sort of way to get paid for my content, especially now that I let advertisers out of their deals to deal with this pandemic. And I didn't, you know, I was working with a lot of small businesses, Brad. I didn't want to ask Vibe Health Bar yeah. for money during this time. I didn't want to ask Sky Naturals for money at this time. So it was like, hey, we've got a great relationship. Let's just hit pause on everything. Meanwhile, for me, it was like, oh, I just paused my two biggest advertisers. Like, what? what do we do? And I knew Be Conscious was out there. I had the idea for this wrestling podcast and I thought, you know, I'll start a Patreon account. And to see people subscribe to it, and, 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 and I know that, you know, you guys have been doing the same thing. To pe- see people subscribe when you're ultimately, the, the, the core of what you're doing is free. Like the, the, the yeah. bread and butter of everything I do, the core of my business, so to speak, is the podcast with Damian Barling. But I've been able to, you know, leverage that audience into, you know, people who like the political conversations on Be Conscious or wrestling fans who want to tune in and just hear or talk about wrestling for 35 to 45 minutes or whatever it may be. And to see people, you know, back that up. And then there are people who don't care about any of that. And they're just like, hey, we dig the podcast. Here's $4. And I know that like seems silly, but once 20, 30, 40, 50 people start making donations that way, it's like, wow, like people are really interested in paying for my content. And that's, you know, that's been one thing to see that's, that's really cool about uh, what you guys are doing at the King's Herald. And I need to make one of those cool videos you guys did. You guys did a great video one day where it was like a, it was almost like the, like a, like a movie credit that was running yeah. with all your Patreon subscribers. I was like, oh, I got to do that. That's a really cool way to thank everybody. Yeah. It's everyone's done their part, but Blake just, he was a guest on here to talk about it a few weeks ago. That guy just did too much. He's amazing. Him That's and his awesome, crew. Man. There's a team of people I don't know. So I can't just say it's Blake. I'm sure he'd want me to give credit to his crew too. Um, but yeah, it's, it's amazing. Like just thinking we in from December 15th, somewhere around there to April, we built an entire brand, a logo, all this. I rebranded the podcast. We all, and what I really appreciate about what we're doing at the King's Herald is we're really trying to emphasize that all of us are different people. Like, um, I tend to yeah. like sports from like a narrative level. I like the stories. That's why I like like when sports and politics combine and you get that. I like sure. that far more than figuring out someone's VORP on the court. Right, right. But like Tim does a great job. Omer does a great job. They're very analytical in the way they talk about it. And I love that. We all have our voices here. And I don't write as often as them, but when I write, I love just being able, I have a couple ideas in my head I want to do right now. I just love being able to do that and it does being independent i feel like i'm not writing for sb nation anymore i'm writing for us and for yeah. kings fans and that's a great feeling when you're thinking about only your consumer 
right? When you're thinking yeah. about just your audience, because I recognize I, I do a lot of the crossover stuff. I try to keep the podcast centrally focused on sports because, you know, whether in, in, you know, pop culture is always going to play a part. We, you know, we celebrated Ice Cube's birthday today. Like those types of things are always going to play a part with, you know, movies or office references or, or, or whatever. But, it, you know, it, it was funny after three and a half years uh, of being told, you know, by, by vocal members on a, on a text line or, or, or a phone line over at the radio station to, to, to stick to sports and stop being political and stop talking about Black Lives Matter and all of those different things. It's, it's been interesting to see a surge or it, it, it's, it's been amazing to see a surge in listenership over the course of the last couple of weeks, which really centered around politically based stories. Well, I think you know, people it's are centered realizing. around uh, George Floyd and Black Lives Matter, and yeah, and now we yeah, can, let's we yeah, might as well it get was, into Grant it's Napier like now. there there's we might as oh, well. Oh, that's fine, sure. Oh yeah, we might as well get into that. We have to talk about it. Um, Damien did. If you want more in depth on this, Damien run ran down his history with Grant and all that. You know, he was a coworker, so we won't, we won't make it rehash. Go listen to. Was that on your main feed or? on your page there was two there was two it was yeah there were two of them i recorded one and i thought i i honestly thought i went into too much detail <laughs> like i laid out our relationship from beginning to end and i thought man like i was 50 minutes into the show <laughs> before i even acknowledged you know what was going on at the time and, and him uh, I don't even think he had been fired yet. I think he had just been put on leave when that episode was done. And uh, it was like, oh, people are going to find this. This is, people are going to find this boring. So I did, like, I saved it. And then I eventually, you know, re-recorded. I, I decided to take a different approach and re-record that podcast episode. But I posted the the lengthy, great in detail uh, Grant Napier episode over on Patreon. Uh, and I even made it like because it was just like it was just a random thing. So it's available for anyone who who is a subscriber on Patreon. And uh, so but there is a lot of detail on the daily feed, like the daily feed episode. There is a ton of, you know, I, I still give a pretty good amount of detail because it was important for people to understand my history because I wanted to make sure because I've you know, I think people gravitated towards me because like I didn't kiss the ring like I was kind of a detractor and actor kind of from day one and I think people wanted to hear from a side of someone who wasn't close to him or wasn't friends with him so I wanted to make sure I presented my story completely and people understand well here is our relationship here's where we left it and here's how I feel and I wanted to make sure it was clear and concise and it didn't come across as overly bitter and and, and I I actually was proud of the way I did that because I, I've mentioned this before. Like I used to carry a lot of hate around for him. And there aren't a lot of people who I could say I care enough about who I have crossed paths with enough in my life to say, like, I hate this person. I can really think of two. And he's one of them. Like I carried a ton of hate around for him and I thought it was dumb. You know, eventually I realized it was dumb and Doug Christie, you know, you know, not to for those of you who heard the story, Doug Christie was telling me about his relationship with George Carl and how he, you know, his, his wife, Jackie, talked him into, you know, you, you really need to squash this and get past this. And so Doug wrote George Carl a note and they were able to move on. And, you know, Doug kind of, when he said that, he kind of gave me a look like, 
no. You hear what I'm saying? And it it, it wasn't it, it, it. He didn't outwardly say it, but it was acknowledged what he was referring to. And I kind of nodded my head, moved on, and you know, I I eventually wrote the note and gave it to him. You know, weeks weeks later, and and, and as I said, we ended when when the lowdown ended. I thought him and I were in in a fine place. And, but that doesn't change, you know, how I feel about what he said and how I feel about the way he's conducted himself over the years. I think one of the common things for people who haven't paid attention or haven't wanted to pay attention was they think that Grant Napier was fired for firing off one All Lives Matter tweet. Yeah. But this was a history. This goes back at least to Donald Sterling. And I don't believe that the 15 years before that were without incident, but my first recollection of, whoa, Grant has some crazy views on things where the Donald Sterling incident, a guy just being objectively racist on a telephone call, telling his yeah. mistress not to take pictures with black people. And uh, Doug Christie talked about that sometime in the last couple of years. And Grant says, I don't know if I'm ready to call him racist. It's like, what? That yeah. tells you everything you need to know right there. Um, well, there's... There's a couple of things at play here. You've got to, when it comes to the radio station, like because you, you you question whether, you know, a lot of you question whether he was fired for the one tweet, and what this ultimately boils down to are the Kings, and how much were the Kings aware of the things he said on his radio show? Those are questions that I don't know the answers to because I don't have an intimate relationship with anyone in the Kings organization, particularly at the upper echelon of the Kings organization. I don't know if he's ever been talked to about it. I have to imagine that he hasn't because his behavior never changed. Uh, so how much that Donald Sterling stuff and his takes on Colin Kaepernick and his seemingly uh, strong tension with a lot of African-American athletes, um, I don't know if any of that played a, 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 a factor, to be honest with you. Like, I really do think this all comes down to that one tweet. And we can, who, you know, from a radio station perspective, you know, he told the New York Daily Post that, oh, I've, I've never been told anything about any of my, my, no one's ever said anything to me at the radio station about this. And, you know, he might be, that, that might actually be 100% true, but I know I've said something to his boss before. And the line that I was given on more than one occasion, uh, it's Grant being Grant. When I brought to his attention how embarrassing, how nationally embarrassing Grant Napier's behavior towards DeMarcus Cousins was the line I was given. That's Grant being Grant. I don't know what it is. He just doesn't like DeMarcus Cousins. It's like, okay. I mean, cause there are a lot more people at KHTK that should have been fired besides Grant Napier. But the fact is the reason Grant Napier no longer has a job at KHTK is because the Kings let him go. Once the Kings let him go, KHTK had no use for him. So KHTK now had the ability to fire him with cause and suddenly they've saved a couple of bucks. You know, and, and here, here are things that I don't know. Like, f I heard a rumor. I'll just state sources close to the podcast with Damian Barling have said Grant's contract with both entities was up within months. If the season doesn't start, like if there is no momentum for a season restart, the the both entities could have just said, "Yeah, we're not pursuing any renegotiation renegotiations with Grant Napier." Thank you for your service. Best of luck on your future endeavors. That would have been the end of it. Like his contract was literally up within yeah. weeks, months. So, I, I mean, I, there, I, you're right. In one sense, there's a lot at play here because we hear things, right? That, and then when you hear something, I use the example of, 
if you ever if you if you're on like Facebook or Instagram or or you know whatever platform and they and someone says, you know, hit the like button when you see the dog. And you're looking all over for it and it's just like a blotch of like ink and you can't see the dog, you can't see it. You're looking all over, you're straining your eyes, but then you see it. It's like, "Oh, there it is. It's right there." Well, once you see it, it's all you can see. That's the way it was with Grant. Like once you saw it, every day you'd hear something different. Like, "Oh, man, like Really? He hates that athlete too? Oh, wait, really? He's against athletes doing this? Oh, man, this is, wow. Like, one, again, once, once you see it, it all becomes magnified. And that's, that's the way it was with Grant. Yeah, and just looking at the writing on the wall leading up to it, it, it was, I said on, I forget if that was on Twitter, just talking to someone, it was tax evasion bringing down Al Capone. Oh, 100%. It was. Yeah. 100%. It was, that's, a perfect, that's, a, that's a perfect example or analogy. And yeah, like within weeks earlier, he was complaining about, um, was it Mark Spears writing oh an article about black coaches oh in the NFL? And he says, why can't it be every coach? It's, it's you've got to follow these trends. I know there's people who think like Grant who don't think that that's a problem. It's a problem. Race yeah, I, is not a political issue. It's just an objective fact that racism exists and we have to fight it. And if you refuse to acknowledge that, what we're learning right now, that's not enough. <laughs> That's still one of the most astonishing tweets he's ever fired off to Mark Spears of all freaking people, the editor in chief of the undefeated. You asked him about writing an article for all coaches, regardless of race. And I loved Mark's reply. Like, well, my colleague such and such did that. And by the way, are you aware of the site that I write for? Like, are you aware of what the purpose is? And that goes to show how tone deaf he is to race issues, right? That, that goes to show how tone deaf he is to this whole conversation and just completely wrapped up in himself and unaware of what's happening around him. And in my mind, the Black Lives Matter thing, All Lives Matter thing the time to educate himself was two years ago when two games that he was at doing on TV were not allowed to have crowds because of a protest about Black Lives Matter. And all well, he did was read one statement on TV and never acknowledged it otherwise, saying that he wasn't going to talk about politics. <laughs> and, oh, he was more than happy to talk about politics when he was rallying for Jamil Hill to be fired. He was more than happy to talk about politics when he didn't understand why why people couldn't use the n-word like the indianapolis colts announcer used the n-word he didn't understand how black people could use the n-word but he couldn't use the n-word or how other white people couldn't use the n-word and i'm just fascinated by this because it's like are you itching to use that word like is that what you're is that what you're saying to us like you shouldn't want to use that word and you shouldn't have any question about why that word is being used but he was always quick to say i'm not going to talk about politics i'm not going to talk about uh, uh, Colin Kaepernick. I'm not going to talk about kneel, kneeling, but he would be happy to throw in a dig. Like I think someone, I, I can't. Re someone got shot, and I remember I, I, someone died. I don't know if it was a police officer, a, a military person. I don't know what it was, but I remember. Oh, if you kneel tonight during the football game, you're just a piece of garbage. I'd boo you off the field. And it's like, oh, okay. Now you want to talk about politics? See, you want to yeah. like sneak your politics in there you don't want to have discussions about it because you're incapable of retorting someone who would challenge you on it. And now that you had Doug Christie sitting across from you, you just like the N word conversation, Doug Christie was like, yeah, bro, you can't use that word. Like that word is, 
not for you. We have taken ownership of that word because of the way that your people originally used it. And so like it, it like the, 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 the whole, I'm, I'm not political, the whole, I'm not going to talk about politics thing, but yet you go to his Twitter feed and you know, he, he likes treat tweets from Donald Trump and other, you know, right wing supporters who were behind the launch of that GoFundMe account that went up for him a few weeks ago. It's like, come on, man, don't, don't play us as stupid. Just because you don't open your show talking about it like we might have, don't act like you didn't talk about politics. You did, and you did it regularly. But the difference is your 55-plus male audience, which was what predominantly your show was. And by the way, from a radio perspective, there is no more frustratingly useless human being than a 56-year-old man. No, listen to me. And I genuinely mean that. You know why? Because the target demographic for that, for, for sports talk radio is 25 to 54, but mostly 35 to 54. So once you get to be 55 and 56, you're out of that demographic. You could be load millions of 56 year old men listening to you. Guess what it nets you in terms of dollars? None. Because that's, that's not the demographic you appeal to. But that's the demographic that he had. He had the 56-plus male demographic on lock. And so when he said things like, well, why can't we use the N-word? Or he said things like, Jamil Hill should be fired. Or he said things like, these son of a bitches shouldn't take a knee. I know he didn't say that, but play along with me here. His stance on kneeling. Or when he talked about any of these issues, whether it was Donald Sterling or All Lives Matter or whatever, his base is going to, it's, they're going to agree with him. They're going to follow him. And you, he, you attract, like your behavior attracts your audience. Like the fact that we, you know, if the fact that we opened the show with boys in the hood, that immediately told people, Hey, this show's different. They're not opening with the Beatles and the doors and Led Zeppelin. And like what most of these, you know, what most of these uh, sports shows use is bumper music because that's their audience. That's the music that their audience listens to. Nah, we're going to open up with the new Kendrick Lamar or the new Childish Gambino, or we're going to play bumper music and have pop culture references that are relevant to a younger audience, something that sports radio has completely annihilated. Yeah. And I don't know. There's just something about his whole, like he acted like this was sprung on him. Like he didn't, was never accused. I've seen his mentions and I've seen him respond to these mentions. So he, he has been called out for his racism. He was too narcissistic to realize that, you know, I'm not going to lie. I probably trolled him too, but, at, or I did. I'm not going to say probably. I did on there. But the thing between, behind all that was that he was so transparent in what we knew he thought, but he was too chicken shit to actually say it. Well, and that's and, and and I think that's where this whole feigning ignorance things comes from, right? This whole well, I didn't know what all lives matter meant. Like, you know, the the dude who sits across from you every day for four hours a day, the dude who you have really been married to for the last two years is your partner, both on the radio and on television. Even though he didn't say this on the air, you know, Doug was the catalyst behind the Black Lives Matter partnership and the Build Black partnership yeah. with the Sacramento Kings. Like well, Doug was responsible for that. It was one phone call from Doug Christie that started the chain of events to that happening. How can you not be aware of what is going on with your employer and your closest coworker? I just, I don't buy it. Yeah. And 
if if you were ignorant, you were willingly ignorant. I think that's you touch on that a lot. That all of us are ignorant in some way or another. Um, but you know, you can combat ignorance if you're not being willfully ignorant. Like. I hope Grant Napier gets better from this, but he's never shown all these people saying, well, he admitted he was wrong. Yeah, but then the next week he was going to find some petty thing to go off on it using coded language. Where mm -hmm. if someone really wants to get better, they do not conduct themselves the way Grant Napier does. They don't meet every, they don't meet every uh, criticism of the things they do by quote tweeting people who support them and saying thanks. Like... <laughs> Right. It seemed like he wanted a pat right. on the back for, I don't know what, I don't even know what he was trying to get praise for after all this. But if he truly wanted change, when Doug Christie said, hey, this is why I say that word, he would have just listened instead of tune him out or whatever he did. I'm, I'm just curious in Doug Christie's mind when he goes on these diatribes. Because I know unless you're Rick Fox in a preseason game, Doug Christie isn't notoriously confrontational. And well... Yeah. Um, uh, so w w without, you know, without saying too much, I'll say Doug, you know, was always, he was, he was conflict. He didn't know how to establish his footing in that show at the beginning because it, you know, Grant's a, a big personality. He's been in the market for, you know, a couple of decades going on three decades almost. And Grant, you know, it's not like he welcomed Doug with open arms it's not like Grant said, hey, go get me a co-host. And Grant certainly didn't say, hey, go get me Del Christie as the co-host. It was KHDK that was like, we need to get Grant a co-host. And they talked Doug into doing it. Doug, you know, came in and did it. And he was trying to, he was trying to figure out how to, you know, establish his, his footing in there and how to, you know, be assertive on certain topics. And we had to have, not we had to, like I, him and I had a lot of conversations about how when certain topics come up, he has to be firm. You know what I mean? Like he has to be a little bit more aggressive uh, than he might normally be. And it's important that he is aggressive in those types of topics. Yeah. And we haven't even really touched on the fact that it was DeMarcus Cousins. Who... Oh my God. It's just the most poetic thing ever. Yeah. This was Shakespearean. Oh, you know. it's just, it's just, it's just, I just imagine DeMarcus sitting at home with his phone in his hand and that text alert comes through and he just goes, God, everyone. And that, you know, that's another thing that that's a, that's a thing that like I've tried to figure out over the course or not. It's not like I've been racking my brain over it, but I have thought about it is, is it the time, right? Is it George Floyd? Is it the groundswell of Black Lives Matter suddenly becoming this mainstream entity and this mainstream phrase and, and so many, honestly, people of races outside, you know, because black people are supporting this in the same exact way that they did in 2014. It's the groundswell of white people and people from other races and other countries that are now supporting this Black Lives Matter movement. I've been trying to figure out, is it the timing of the tweet or the fact that he wasn't just retweeting some, you know, you or, you know, yeah. uh, uh, a local Sacramento guy or, 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 or a listener or whoever. But the fact that it was DeMarcus and because it was DeMarcus that put that tweet out there. So it was seen by Matt Barnes. And so it was seen by Chris Weber. And so it was seen by people around the NBA. And I it's a good combination of both, but I'm not positive 
that Grant Napier doesn't still have a job if that if DeMarcus Cousins is just, you know, Sacramento King fan 325 on Twitter. Yeah. Well, and if it's Sacramento Kings fan 325, Chris Weber and Matt Barnes aren't getting it. That's what exactly. Exactly. And once they chimed in, like it it got it, you know, it got it became I was the first the first text that I got came Monday morning. So this started to develop Sunday night. The first text that I got was Monday morning at 7 a.m. from a writer who said it all it just said he's not gonna make it. It was like, whoa, okay. I got a call at 1230. He's not going to make it. And so it was at three o'clock that day that they put him on leave. I got a text at 11 o'clock that night from someone, <laughs> from someone at the station who was like, he's not going to make it. And the next day, obviously, we know what happened at three o'clock. But this became a like it, it did not take long for this to become a big story. And I looked at the time frame because I was intrigued by this because he never walks anything back. From the moment the All Lives Matter tweet went out to the moment he said, oh, I apologize if you took it that way, respect the way I was raised or something like that. It was, I think, 38 minutes. And I looked at that like, who called him? Oh, yeah, that was not 38 minute time span and told him to walk that back. Because someone called him and it was somebody, uh, somebody related to the Sacramento Kings. Yeah. Yeah, that was the most, and it wasn't even introspection, but in Grant Napier, that was the most introspection I've ever seen, and it was just obvious lies. Yeah, right. And it I was, just pictured DeMarcus Cousins sitting there playing 2K, whatever, playing with his kids, and he probably fired that off just like, wow, Grant Napier's quiet on this, and then he probably threw away his phone and didn't do anything, and everyone who has paid attention to Grant Napier knew exactly what he was going to say, except Grant Napier. Right. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. It, it is going back to that, you know, DeMarcus Cousins is a complicated figure to many. Um, Chris Weber, even for whatever reason, has become complicated for people. I've never quite gotten that one. But that is, I think it's pretty inarguable. That's two of the three best kings ever who are feuding with the voice of your team and who think that he is has at the very least regressive views on race that has to look bad well it, it yet you would think that it does and you know you talk about two of the three greatest or you know two of the greatest if you were to force someone else in there wouldn't it be mitch richmond and, and yeah. don't him and mitch richmond not have a particularly great relationship you know so it's that like, i don't know it's like okay, well, we're three for three here at this point. You know what I mean? And uh, yeah, I, I, I all, I never understood it, and I thought, I, you know, from a from a radio station perspective, I thought his behavior was embarrassing. He regularly tried to make himself relevant by calling out national media hosts who essentially just ignored him. It's like, do you realize how stupid this makes our? Ra- Does no one care how stupid? This makes our radio station look. We look like absolute jackasses because of the way this guy is conducting himself. And if I'm in charge of the Sacramento Kings in any way, shape, or form, I'm looking at this like, hey, I get you got a radio show, bro, but can you chill? Like, can you, you're making us look dumb. You're trying to force yourself into some national conversation of relevancy, and you're not there. Sit down. It's cool that you've had this job for 30 years, dude, but you've got to stop because you're you don't have the voice to go piping at some of these guys. And that's why they're all ignoring you. 
Yeah, it's I I don't know what else to say about him, but there it always looked bad. He in the New York Post thing, he repeated, which is how you know he's a narcissist because he has no self awareness. Like I firmly believe you kind of touched on this too that Grant Napier thinks certain things about himself that aren't true. I that he isn't racist, all that that yeah. it isn't true. And yeah. in New York Post, he once again repeated that he didn't want to talk about Demarcus Cousins anymore. But anytime Demarcus Cousins sneezed wrong, Grant Napier was on Twitter talking about him. So, yeah. Well, not, not just on Twitter, but on his radio show, yeah. calling him vile and disgusting. And hey, I'm let's I like Demarcus is not an angel. Yeah. I mean, he didn't particular he didn't particularly treat people the greatest. Like he wasn't. Like he's not like a savior of any way, shape. But you also don't talk about another man like that unless you're going to do it to his face. Yeah. And he never had the balls to do it to his face. And if you go back, if you can, if you're 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 better at this than I am. If you can like do like timeline searches by dates and go back to the day Demarcus Cousins was traded. I remember Grant was. I believe he was in New Orleans. I believe he was at the All Star Game because I vaguely remember him missing that Friday show. And I remember seeing the reports of DeMarcus being traded. And someone had retweeted something from Grant that I saw. And it was something absurd like, hey, you know, before, you know, before you, I'm about to get on a plane or I'm about to travel or whatever. Before you, you know, take this worth anything, like consider the source. Like, the source is Adrian Wojnarowski. Like, do you, wait, I'm sorry. Like, are you insinuating that Woj doesn't know what he's talking about? And I get a lot of Kings fans like to hang their hat on the fourth and one thing. <laughs> Guys, it was fourth it, or, or it was, it was first and goal or whatever the line was. What, what yeah. was the tweet? Like first and goal on the one. Yeah. It was first and goal on the one. This thing was over. Like th- there's the Woj's tweet was a hundred percent accurate there was nothing wrong with what he wrote he was absolutely right which is actually you know uh, even more accomplishments for the fact that it didn't get done this thing was over so people holding on to something as if Woj was wrong when he tweeted that is silly and I think that's what Grant was doing when he was saying consider the source like how often is Woj wrong about deals like this because like you realize he's getting it directly from the general manager and the ownership group right like he's not getting it from an agent or a player Woj is connected to the to the to the to the higher echelons of teams. And then he lands and he turns his phone back on and DeMarcus is traded. And he just because he knows he doesn't have to see him again, he starts trashing him. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, you are the biggest bitch I've ever seen in my life. You have zero balls. And I and I just found that so disgusting. You could say whatever you want to about a man. Yeah, as long as you say it to them, and all of these things, all of these issues that I've had with Grant, I've said directly to him. We've had it out in person. We've had it out through company email before. I've called him out in front of the entire KHK staff. I don't have a problem telling him how I feel. So you can you can rise up. You can puff your chest out if you want to, as long as the other person that you're puffing your chest out for is in front of you, or you have at least puffed it out in front of him at some point in time, which he never did with Demarcus, which is so trash. And he did it with Chris Webber, too. That's Chris Webber, that was pre... So we can't go back unless KHDK has archives somewhere. He said when Chris Webber was traded for Kenny Thomas and Brian Skinner and Corliss Williamson's corpse, that it was going to be the best <laughs> trade in Kings history. <laughs> oh, man. That are we was, still... Are the Kings still paying Kenny Thomas? Can someone confirm that? Has Kenny Thomas still got about two years left on his deal? Probably. 
If he does, he probably should have paid people at his restaurant before it went out of business. Probably. Yeah, probably. <laughs> That's a strange Sacramento athlete there. I've never He's seen this nice guy, though. I've met Kenny Thomas, I don't know, a dozen times. Yeah. This, is how, this is how memorable my interactions with him have been. I've met him a dozen times in a variety of different circumstances. Every single time we see each other. Hey, man, nice to meet you. <sighs> so, Kenny Thomas. Obviously, not- I'm having no impact on your life, so I'm just going to go. Kenny Thomas, it's like, as far as I know, he knows I don't exist. But one morning, he doesn't follow me on any social media. One morning, I wake up, and he liked, like, five pictures, like, random pictures of my nephew, probably. That's basically all I post on Instagram. And Kenny Thomas liked a bunch of them. And, okay. Well, that's um, concerning. Yeah, it's like... You know what I find? You know, you know there are bots that do that. I, you, that maybe Kenny had a bot, like a social maybe. media bot. And that that goes and likes pictures for you because when you like like it it goes and likes pictures and so that way you get noticed in the person's mentions and they go uh, like and you go follow them and like that's how that whole procedure works because they say you know Instagram because I studied Instagram a lot over the last couple of years Instagram is a lot like Twitter where the more you tweet the more followers you get like you have to you have to be very very active on Twitter to increase your follow or account. And the same is true for Instagram. You have to use hashtags and find hashtags and find, you know, people in your community. And you, you know, the protocol is to like their last three tweets or the last three uh, (laughs) pictures, whatever. And then, oh, I'll follow you. You follow me. And that's how your follower account goes up. It's a really, social media is the strangest world uh, that's ever existed. Yeah. I've never cracked the code on Instagram. I'm not good at Instagram. I think I posted Instagram my story Instagram is a hundred percent algorithm. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, Instagram is about the time of day you post. It's about the hashtags that you use. It's about the filters that you use. It is very. Uh, there's like a sweet spot with this. You know. You know how. You know how. Like with an avocado, like it, it, you can't. You can't use it until it's ripe, and then you have like this window. Like it's, it's not. It's too hard. You can't use it yet. It's not ripe enough. It's not, nope, not yet, not yet, not yet. Okay, you can use it now. But if you don't use it that day, like the next day, it's like brown and soggy. That's how small the window is on Instagram. You've got a ripe avocado window to get that picture posted, to get to use the right hashtags and to get it noticed and to help, you know, uh, uh, build your, uh, build your follower account. It's, yeah, it's not fun. Like I spent way too much time when I hooked up with Yazoo, the photographer. He really kind of hit me to the game and how it worked. And uh, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was quite an experience. It, but it's a much happier place. Like Instagram is much oh, yeah. happier than Twitter is. Oh, Twitter is very ugly. Uh, Instagram is happy. Well, Twitter is very ugly. Facebook is 10 times worse. Face, um, yeah, Facebook yeah, Instagram is. seems relatively pleasant. Yeah, it is. Like Chris Verlau, my, my producer at the Lowdown, uh, always had a good line that uh, Instagram is like your first date. That's a, that's like what it is. It's it's your it's your first date. Yeah, it seems like the most like you're not going to post a bunch of pictures of things you hate. I mean, some people probably do. I don't know, but on Twitter, yeah. like people like me, just I go out like Tony Montana, just throwing out takes 15 times a minute. <laughs> I can't do that on Instagram. So let's yeah, you go. You do tweet a lot. You are a you're heavy tweeter. I'm not as bad unless I'm bored. If I'm bored or if like Mondays, which it's Monday, 
Um, <laughs> Mondays, I'm notorious for tweeting a lot more because it means I'm not working and I'd rather be tweeting. But it's the blessing and curse of being a freelancer. Is all my time's my own. So that means yeah. I have a lot of time to kill. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go back to the the bigger issue in all this and just this strange moment we live in. It, everything was just a perfect storm in this. The COVID-19 mm-hmm. happening as a backdrop to this. The the race aspect and now sports is getting more and more into the conversation as the Kyrie Irving stuff goes along all that. And sports is always a reflection of America. And I think we're especially learning that right now that there are players who play basketball for a living, who love the game, but they don't feel comfortable playing this game while all of this is going on. And I don't, I don't know how to put a cherry Mm. on the top of this statement, but have you ever seen anything like this? Well, no. I mean, none of us have, right? We've yeah. never lived through anything like this before. I mean, this is this is unprecedented, which is why I, I just didn't understand the reaction to Kyrie Irving this weekend. Like, I, I didn't understand the reaction to Dwight Howard. I think sometimes we spend too much time looking at the messenger, in this yeah. case, Kyrie or Dwight and we point out their flaws and we point out the way that they exited Boston or the way that they exited Orlando or the Lakers or the Cavs or whoever we're respectively talking about. We're not paying attention to what the actual message is. And my thought was like, if you're an employee of a company and the company is asking you to put yourself in a, in a situation, it's a situation that no one else in the entire country is going to be in. You're going to be around a lot of people. You're going to be in very close contact. There's going to be uh, little to no social distancing plat, you know, uh, uh, standards. There's, there's not going to be masks while you're worn out there on the court. Like it's going to be, you're basically, you're, you're going to be the first, at least in this country, of, of having this type of close contact game getting back underway. I don't get why people criticize them for asking questions. I, I don't, hey, we're going to have you isolated from your family and friends for a pretty lengthy period of time. You're going to be in, and this was something I, pointed out on on the on on the, the June 15th edition of the podcast was this is not a real bubble it's a metaphorical bubble like this isn't that episode of Seinfeld where the guy lives in the bubble but it's like an actual bubble yeah. it's a metaphorical bubble meaning something can still there can still be a problem like there can something can still get in whether it comes from a hotel worker or or you know whatever it's not immune just because we keep calling it the bubble. Now, there are a ton of safety procedures implemented, which is good. And the thing that gave me the most excitement about the NBA season was Dr. Fauci. I have, Dr. Fauci seems to have been completely exiled from the United States government and talking about COVID-19 in a press conference form over the last few months. But I saw an interview with him over the course of the last couple of days where he was asked, did you take a look at what the NBA is doing? He said, yeah, I I consulted them with on it and I think it's very good. I think it's very creative. And I think if they follow the procedures, if everyone, and this is the important part, 1600 people associated with the NBA, if everyone follows the procedures, they should be able to execute the rest of the regular season in a very safe manner. And I thought, oh, that's good because Florida is a mess. And there are going to be a number of other states uh, that are a mess, and you're not going to hear about it because what I believe is going to happen is these cases, you know, we saw Donald Trump tweet about it. I think it was t- today. It was on Monday where he tweeted about, 
well, you know, the good thing about having COVID-19 testing is, you know, we get to identify those cases and that's why the numbers are going up. And he's praising himself and he's praising the United States government for having COVID cases because they have testing. Whereas all of these states have reopened up and there's going to be problems. There are going to be problems in Sacramento. There are going to be problems in California. There's going to be problems in Florida. There's going to be problems in Texas. I mean, there's that gut-wrenching story with Lena Washington and her, oh, yeah. her dad having to go back to work at, at, at an Arizona casino. And it's, it's like, this, guys, this is real. Like, this is not over. And that's, you know, one thing that I worry about there in Florida. But given the fact that they have such strict procedures, I think it's going to work. I just, I didn't get I didn't get the reaction to Kyrie Irving. The movement portion of the conversation is a little bit different. You know, guys saying we shouldn't play basketball right now. We should continue to push the narrative forward. We should continue to try to make change. And I thought, okay, I, I like this. I, I don't understand this one as much because trying to put myself in their shoes, Brad, I'm wondering if they're saying, hey, we're a league that is dominated by black athletes. And if we step forward and say, we're not going to play, no matter how safe you say it is, we're not going to play because we are going to focus on the betterment of our community. We're going to focus on the betterment of society. That is a powerful, powerful message to send. But on the other side, I ask, well, why not put Garrett Temple in front of a microphone every other day when the Brooklyn Nets play or Kyrie Irving for that matter? And I mentioned Garrett Temple. I know he's not like the NBA caliber superstar that these guys are, but there are few individuals in the NBA that I want to talk about race relations more in this country than I would want Garrett Temple to talk about. LeBron James, most powerful athlete on the planet, right? He's in front of a microphone. He's on a television camera every single day. Why not? Why not attack the problem from that way? You know, there's, you know, we're, we're attempting to end a centuries-long problem here. Well, let's try to attack it from multiple different directions. Yeah, and going back to Garrett Temple, you were talking about how Doug was huge on the Black Lives Matter protest. From player standpoint, wasn't it Garrett and Vince Carter who were getting the players involved with the whole Black Lives Matter protests and all that during that time? Am I remembering that correctly? You are. Yeah, you are. You are remembering that uh, perfectly. What happened was the day that first protest happened outside the arena. When I said Doug Christie placed one call, the call was to me. He called me and asked if I knew anyone who was out there protesting because he wanted like he, he, he called me and he said, dude, I, I think we might have a chance like to actually do something here. And we might have the chance to to start implementing some sort of change. And I was like, as a matter of fact, the dude who's you know, running the protest out there, I was introduced to this morning. So I went out there and I, we had never met yet. We had been introduced online, but we had never met. His name is Barry Axius. I went up to Barry and I said, Hey, you don't know me, but Sarah introduced us. Sarah, I'm sure she's listening. She's a huge, huge Kings fan. I said, Sarah introduced us this morning. She goes, Oh, right, 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 right. I said, Hey, this is weird. You don't know me. I don't know you. You have no reason to trust me, but Doug Christie called. He says, you know, we might have an opportunity to like do something if you want to come inside and talk. And without hesitation, he goes, okay, let's go. So I called Doug back. I said, hey, because you couldn't get into the building. It's not like you could just walk back in. I couldn't go to the media entrance. I had to call Doug. Doug had to send NBA security to like 
like an opening, like all the way around on a different side of the building. And we went inside and, you know, we hung around that day. He met, you know, Barry met, you know, Matina that day and he met, uh, you know, John and, and, and Vivek and, you know, kind of the upper echelon of the Kings uh, team. And as the game was wrapping up, there were only a couple of people in the stands. We were sitting right in the front. Garrett comes over during a timeout and he, and he gives me a hug and he says, Hey, let's hang out and talk afterwards. And so, uh, Garrett and, 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 and Vince and Barry and I kind of sat around and talking about problems, issues, and solutions. And it was there we learned that, uh, Vince told us, and I, I, I'm, I'm positive this story is public now, but Vince told us, uh, Vivek wanted them to talk after the game. And, Vince and Garrett were like, no, like we're tired of doing this. You do it. <laughs> it, it would mean something. It would, it would actually mean a little bit more if it came from you. And to Vivek's credit, he was like, okay, what he did that night wasn't rehearsed. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't written. It wasn't planned. They essentially told him, no, we're not doing this. You do it. And he did. And I thought it was incredibly effective. I thought it was his... Uh, I thought it was his shining moment yeah. as, as the King's owner so far. Oh, yeah. And stuff we get so caught up in the sports side. That's one thing I'm proud of as being a Kings fan is being, and you know, it's a professional sports team. They're only going to do so much. There's always more that can be done. But as far as sports team goes, you, I don't know if there's a better team right now as far as social issues than the Kings. And like even no, like their pride nights so. and all that, they don't host it. Some of the teams yeah. will host those in like preseason and stuff. No, the Kings are very good at putting these things up, up front and letting them shine. And I appreciate that. I also, I love that Vivek celebrates his heritage. Yeah. Like, why not introduce the Sacramento community into, into who he is and what he is? Like, I, I, I love that. We've seen them celebrate, uh, celebrate Filipino night. Like, I, I love the all-inclusive nature because that's, that's what the NBA is. Like, it's, it's all-inclusive and unlike... You know, a lot of football, while there are football fans of all sorts, football arenas are generally dominated by, you know, older white males. And that's not the case in basketball. Yeah. And I love the, I love the all-inclusive nature. And I know, you know, a lot of other teams do it. I remember, was this, this I think it must have been, it was Stephon Clark time where the Kings did a video with the, was it the Celtics? Yeah, I was at that game. Somebody yeah. was here. It was a Celtics. And they did a video together, and I thought, man, like, this is, this is powerful. Yeah. This is really, really powerful. And I, you know, for all, of the, for all of the faults that the Kings organization has when it comes to social issues, they have done a lot right. And I, as much as I complain about them, I would rather cheer on a team that's doing things right off the court and screwing it up on it than the opposite of that. I would have such a hard time, like, when Donald Sterling was, right. I'm not saying I wouldn't have been a fan of the Clippers, but it would have been so hard to support that team knowing, I mean, say that there's a world where Donald Sterling got a slap. Well, I've been a Cowboys time. fan. Oh, yeah. Well, in football, too, it seems their owners are always yeah, like yeah. a parody of an owner. <laughs> Jerry right. I, I, was a, I was a Cowboy fan. Yeah, I was a Cowboy fan for years, and I just, I can't, I couldn't do it anymore. Like two years ago, I was just like, I can't support this organization anymore. Like, I'm done. And I threw, I what you know I didn't I don't have a ton of like fan paraphernalia, but whatever I had that had that logo on it went straight to Goodwill. Like I just can't support them anymore uh, in that regard. And 
I, I could, you know, there's a lot of players on the teams that I like on, on, on the Dallas Cowboys that I like, but I just, I don't have an investment in them anymore. Yeah. yeah football to me is always like NFL, the culture around it has always been that like perfect center between basketball and baseball. Like what have any baseball yeah. players come out and spoken really yet? I'll take that as a no. No, I don't think so. I mean, remember, this is a league that just does, it does not have very many black actors. It does not have, I mean, who is the ball? I mean, you look at the NFL and you look at, you look for definitive voices. Yeah. Well, you're always going to get the quarterback position. And, and that's why Patrick Mahomes, you know, who recently won the MVP, he just won the Super Bowl. That's why him being in that video that those players, put out a few weeks ago that's why it was so important if he wasn't in that video if guys like Deshaun Watson wasn't in that video I would have been I would have been tough like it would have been really difficult to digest that and he would have had to explain why he wasn't in it but yeah you know you've you you have those LeBron James he's the definitive voice of the National Basketball Association baseball black or white or or any other you know race I don't know who it is like yeah. if Mike we know we we know hey Mike Trout's the best player all right cool he ain't gonna say nothing that's if what I Bryce Harper says something, it's probably gonna piss people off. Like I just I, I I don't know who you look to for this. Yeah, Trevor Bauer has all sorts of questionable tweets from the past. And yeah, but even NASCAR, you even yeah. if you take away the diversity of these sports, even NASCAR made a statement. And baseball's just I don't know. I don't understand baseball. Yeah. The, there's something just so inherently toxic about football too, but especially baseball. Like just they're above all this or something or below all it. I don't know even how to describe it, but I don't, I don't, I don't know that it's either one of those, Brad. I, I think it's more of, they just don't have anyone to put out there. I don't think it's that they think they're above it. They're also in the middle of one of the most, this will go down as the most insane work stoppage in history. Like they were shut down because of a global pandemic. They had an agreement to return. And yet somehow we're in the middle of a baseball. Somehow we wound up in a lockout. No one knows how, but somehow we wound up in the middle of a major league baseball lockout. So they just don't have, they don't have what these other leagues have. I don't know that it's like, you know, above or below or anything like that. I just don't like, like, who do you turn to? Like, who do you want out there? Tory Hunter's the only one that I've heard talk about it. He doesn't even play anymore. The Sean Doolittle is usually pretty outspoken on things. I imagine he's probably said something, but yeah. <laughs> May have missed that one. I, I just know in the past he's been he's been on the right side of many things. So I imagine he's probably said something, but I don't know. Yeah. I don't know baseball that much. Maybe he's a monster and I don't know this, but <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think he is. But uh, it's, it's just funny the way seeing all this go around and baseball talk about bad optics. Players are paying the salaries of, stadium employees right now and baseball signed a billion dollar tv deal yesterday yeah They're, they I, they it's mind-numbing they could have had all of june and all of july completely to themselves as it pertains to the four major sports there'll be golf tournaments on the weekend a couple ufc fights here and there uh you know nascar races or whatever simulated nascar races whatever it is that they're doing they they would have had the, the sports landscape to themselves, and they blew it. They were a step ahead of everybody else. They laid out, hey, we'll take a 25% pay cut. You could prorate our salaries. Just make sure 
that we have uh, strict uh, 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 testing for us to come back. Just make sure we're going to be safe. That's really all of the agreements. Make sure we're going to be safe. That's what the players asked for. They gave up 25% of the salary. They did all this stuff. And yet here we are with the baseball owners continuously trying to chip away and chip away and chip away at what they already told the players that they could get in the event of, a, of, a, of, 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 of canceled games. And here we are. The canceled games are here and the baseball owners have decided what the players gave wasn't enough. And that's very common from sports owners. Uh, I mean, as long as sports teams have existed. I was just watching. I don't know if you watched the uh, Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa documentary last night, the 30 for 30. They were talking about the 94 lockout. And up, up until Sosa and McGuire, basically, baseball just had no fans. Nobody was going to baseball games anymore because they were fed up. I don't know with the owners or players or what, but baseball's to me. Yeah, I, I didn't watch. I, I had read a review of it, and I, I don't judge whether I watch something based on the review, but I read what the documentary was about and that it barely touched on you know, the performance-enhancing drugs yeah. aspect of it, and it really just focused on the excitement of the summer. And it was like, dude, screw you. I'm not watching this. Like, you don't get to rewrite his. Sure, like, I get, the, I get the director had the idea of, hey, let's just focus on what it was like in that moment. And it's, okay, okay, cool. Like, you want to go back and focus on OJ's football career? You want to you go back and you want to relive that, but you, don't want, you do not want to talk about anything? Like, imagine if Made in America talked about OJ Simpson at USC. Like, give me a break. You can't, there are certain stories, and I know that's an extreme example, yeah. but there are certain stories that you can't tell without telling, like, the outcome of it. You know what I mean? Like, you, you have to, even if it's fast-forwarding years and years and years, because you go to Barry Bonds breaking the record. Barry Bonds didn't, there, there wasn't this big, long celebration for Barry Bonds to break this record. Like, he was vilified. He was hated yeah. for it. But you want to celebrate Mark McGuire's punk ass? Man, no, thank you. I'm good. And Sammy Sosha, who thinks he's, oh, stop, man, stop it. That stop. is a Move strange man. I just, that, I found that whole premise, I found that whole premise so freaking offensive to me as someone who just does not have my head shoved up my ass. And I, I fully admit that, like, PEDs and baseball don't bother me in the slightest, probably because I'm a Barry Bonds fan. <laughs> Shoot, bring them back. Yeah. Make them legal. Shoot. Let everybody do them. That's what, like, I actually, there's something, I don't know if admires the word because I don't really care, but like Mark McGuire especially is so shameless about it. He's like, yeah, I took steroids. I'd do it again. It's like he was practically injecting steroids while he was doing post-game pressers during all this. And then five years later, Bud Selig decided that was bad. And I think that would have, yeah. and, and that's the, and, and Bud Selig, and, and yet somehow Bud Selig is in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. You got to be kidding me. That's what it's laughable. It's like baseball. And this is why I can never, this is why I'll never take baseball seriously is because of nonsense like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's so the only, the only baseball player that bugs me as far as the PEDs goes Ryan Braun, because he legitimately like tried to ruin people's lives to cover his own ass. Mm -hmm. And yeah, but yeah, you are right. I thought it was going to be a two parter. So I was thinking very Lance Armstrong. ish. Yeah. That's another one. I'd like, I would think Lance Armstrong's blood doping thing was kind of cool if he wasn't such a jackass. <laughs> Don't quote me on that. Yeah, that's another one that I just wouldn't watch. Like, I just, I knew his, yeah, that's one that I, it's, it's just another one. Like, nah, so I watched the Bruce Lee one, which it was a little bit difficult for me to get into. Like, I tried, like, I, I liked it. You know, it was tough coming off of, you know, the heels of, 
of of Jordan and I took a break. I did I had no interest in watching Lance Armstrong. When I saw the trailer and Lance Armstrong uttered the phrase, This is the truth as I remember it, I was like, bye. That's a thing like not, the last dance we I'm watched. Not sitting through this. We watched ten hours of the last dance because Michael Jordan is an entertaining narcissist. He is a walking yeah. meme. He can look at an iPad five different times and five different <laughs> memes come from it. That's funny. Yeah. That's Lance yep. Armstrong just like yep. sitting here telling half truths. Like we anyone with half a brain who knows Michael Jordan knows it. Those probably weren't even his sons in that documentary. That guy, everything he said was a lie, but it was entertaining. Yeah. Yeah. I it was I understand why ESPN did it, but it was probably a mistake to release these all so close together. Mm-hmm. Probably should have waited a little while before putting the Lance Armstrong one because now you just compare these three that just dropped, and I think these were the last three that they announced. You're just going to compare them to the last dance because they were all kind of in the same cluster. And it's mm, they just they're not going to measure up. They're not going to measure up to a series. Uh, they're not going to measure up to Michael Jordan. So they were kind of in lose lose situations. Like you just weren't going to win. Yeah. Which I is thought, what a lose lose situation is. I'm obviously very good with my words, Bradley. Yeah. I I do it all the time, which is why I write and podcast. But I was thinking go. it was going to be a two-parter. I legitimately the whole time yesterday thought it was a two-parter. So I was like, okay, they're going to cover this one as it happened. And then they're going to cover the steroid scandals in the next one. I didn't realize it was just one part. So <laughs> when it's like at the end, it's like yep. five minutes of steroids. I was like, okay. So yeah, it was weird from, it was weird from an execution standpoint. It seemed very rushed. I will say that's the first, but that was, that was the point of it. Like that was, that's what the, that's what the director wanted to do. Yeah. Yeah. I want to see more of the 30 for thirties and whatnot, focusing on the smaller stories. I don't, they don't all need to be the home run King, the cycling King, the basketball King, the martial arts King. I would love more stories of players that we might not know the story of. Like Abdul Raouf, that would be an sure. amazing one. Um, it's the other that dude who's on the yeah. Bulls, Craig Hodges. Craig Hodges. Mm-hmm. Yeah, these dudes who made like an amazing story that I bet a lot of casual fans don't know. I would love that. Even like you think back, Kings like a Ricky Barry story. See what what did this twenty one year old kid go through that made him take his own life when everything was looking up, especially in today's climate. Those are the interesting stories, I think. Sure. Yeah. So hire me ESPN is what I'm saying. Oh, any- oh I, I agree. Like, I'll, You can use me as a reference. <laughs> when they'll wonder why there's randomly an episode about ABBA, but hey. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. did we miss anything covering through all this? Um, what, if you had to just give advice to people, say, Someone like me, I'm a white man in America and I'm constantly wanting to do better. What would you say to me like through all this? What, what's the best thing I can do? I know that this is a very loaded question and I'm well aware. Of that. What can I do to like just be on the right side of this? But here's the thing, Brad, and, and for anybody else, like you are. You know what I mean? The fact that you even asked the question means that you already kind of get it. It's your understanding. And it's been this weird, you know, thing where, you know, people call and text and you know, they 
how are you? What's, is there anything we could do? Like, what can I do? You know, and a lot of people have asked that question and I'm not trying to make fun of it or minimize it in any stretch of the imagination. I just mean, if you're asking that question, chances are you're, 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 you're already there. Like if you're asking, Hey, how can I be on the right side of history? How can I support the movement? The fact that, that, that the thought to ask that question is even coming in your head means that you're probably already there. It's the people who haven't asked that question yet that we've got to get through to. And it's not, uh, and I'm not saying that people can't change their mind. I just know that, I just don't know that those people who are slow to change their mind have reached out to anybody to ask that question yet. I mean, the truth is, listen, try to understand there's a history in, in this country that you're probably uncomfortable with. There very well may be a history in this country that you're not even aware of. History is not what you were taught in school. It didn't go slavery to uh, Abraham Lincoln to uh, Martin Luther King to we're all free. Oh, look, we've got a black president. Like that's, that's, not, that's not the history of black people in America. And until you can truly understand the history of African-Americans and their relationship with the police department, until you can understand what the police department was originally put in place for, until you can understand what reconstruction is, until you can understand this very, very long history, this history that is significantly longer than this 60 year stretch where black people are so-called free. Like everybody likes to talk, you know, uh, people have been talking about the, the, the Montgomery bus boycott lately, right? People that see protesting works, the Montgomery bus boycott, like look at, look at what those people in Montgomery, Alabama did. It's like, okay, you've got a point. They shut down the bus system in Alabama for 381 days. And how do people think that story ends? Well, they think it ends happy. Like, yeah. Then the Voting Rights Act came, and then all of this stuff happened, and look at all of this change that came. You're right. Change did come. Black people in the South crippled the, the, the transit system, the busing system. But Rosa Parks, who everybody loves to celebrate, she was forced to leave Montgomery because of the amount of death threats that she got. Black people still regularly sat on the back of the bus for years just to avoid confrontations with white people. And when the bus system got back up and running after that 381 days, you know what was happening? White mobs were, were, were converging on these bus stops. And when black people would get off, they beat the crap out of them. But you're not taught that part of history, the Civil Rights Act. The Civil Rights Act, well, 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 look at, they marched and they got this done. Like, ah, kind of. It actually wasn't a march. The way it started was people were going, black people were going to register to vote and they were getting their ass kicked by white people. They were getting their ass kicked by police. They were getting their ass kicked by everybody. So what did they do? They started going in groups because it was kind of of the mentality, well, psh, can't take all of us. We're going to go get registered to vote. And then bigger groups started going and then bigger groups started going and then bigger groups started going. And that's how that happened. But you're not taught that part. You're taught to believe it is this big, fluffy, happy story. You're not taught that Dr. King was told to kill himself by the guy who has his name on the outside of the FBI building. J. Edgar Hoover influenced, he pleaded with Dr. King to take his own life before they revealed his infidelity. You're not taught that part of the story. There is a lot of history that you don't know. And if you take the time to know it, you would understand it better. If you took the time to understand George Floyd, you could go back and realize you know, why Ferguson was what it was. 
you can go back and you look at you can look at 1992 in Los Angeles and then you could look at the 80s all the way up into the early 90s and you can look at Los Angeles and its relationship with black people and 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 and, and the police department and and even the you know uh, 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 Korean people there and how there was this just this racial time bomb that was getting ready to explode in, in the early 90s and the late 80s. If you take the time to understand that, if you go back and look at Detroit in the 60s and the widespread rioting in, in 1968 after, after Dr. King was assassinated, you will understand it more. If you take time to understand Richard Nixon's presidential campaign, you would see why so many people are so angry and so offended every time Donald Trump tweets law and order or every time Donald Trump used racially coded language. It would make sense to you because... Richard Nixon was running on a platform of fear. He was running on a platform of fear of black people in the 1960s, and it was accepted. Donald Trump is running on that same exact platform. He ran on it in 2016. He's running on it again now. And the fact that it's accepted again is concerning. It's concerning for you. It's concerning for me. It's concerning for all of us because we're moving backwards. Race relations have taken a massive step back over the last... I don't know, four to six years. It's yeah. It's, I think it's one of those things that's so easy as, as a white man in America, it would be so easy for me to just ignore all this and pretend it doesn't happen, which a lot of people do. But then when this stuff happens, it just leaves you clueless. on like, what you see someone stealing a TV and you don't know why they're doing it, but watch a documentary, read a book, do all that. And you start to understand the harbinger of all this. And it's not about that target being looted. It's about something that's been going on over and over and over again. I was watching a documentary about James Baldwin last night and he might as well have recorded or wrote down those words last week. It was the same exact message. It's like, when are we going to start listening? Well, if you, if people want to be upset about, and, and you have every right to be with whether it was McCooney's downtown or if it was Target being looted or Best Buy in Atomas or whatever, like you have a right to be upset about that. But if, if you're focusing all your attention on that and not focusing on, you know, the seven, several thousand people that were marching with the NAACP in Sacramento last weekend, then you're missing the point. If you're paying more attention to you know, broken windows and, and boarded up doors or whatever the case is and not enough time to like why these protests are happening, not why the riots are happening, not why the vandalism is happening, but why the protests are happening, then you're doing yourself a disservice and you're unwilling to learn. Take the time to learn. Um, yeah. I mean, if you look at your streaming apps right now, almost all of them will have a section of informative documentaries and whatnot. I've seen some good ones through there. And yeah, I mean, yeah, documentaries there are a lot of good ones out there. You've you've got to be careful with documentaries, obviously. But I rewatched the Thirteenth the other night. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, there's it's they put things into context that maybe you even knew, but you haven't thought about in that context, and it helps. And I like reading, so a lot of times I'll get like I learned about New Jim Crow from the Thirteenth, and I'm reading that. And Michelle Alexander, yeah, it's one of the best books that's ever been written. It's that should be required viewing for every high school student. Every high school student should have to read that before they leave high yeah, school. It's, it's amazing. So, and I'm not even that far into it, but it's amazing so far, but yeah, just, I love, as someone who loves taking in information, it's, I guess it's easier for me, but yeah, I've learned so much from this. Um, reading like the writing of Angela Davis, stuff like this. It's yeah. 
I'm sure if you at Damien or I, anyone there, there be willing to send things your way if you want to inform yourself. Like a lot of people didn't know about the Tulsa massacre until it was the first scene in Watchmen, and that's a huge moment in history right there that we never learned. And and so and and, and I guess me being un, unfamiliar with this show. Um, a lot of people pointed me to it. Like I had, I've read extensively about Tulsa, but I was so confused when two weeks ago, when it popped, like suddenly it was everywhere. Like 60 minutes did something on it this weekend. Russell Westbrook, uh, the greatest basketball player that's ever lived is doing a, uh, a documentary on it. And it's like, wait, why did this pop into the mainstream? Is it because of that show? I don't know why all of a sudden it's, it's, it's everywhere. And so prevalent, prevalent, I think so. Yeah. I mean, it was a big show. I, okay. I imagine it shouldn't take a Watchmen show to bring it in, but it is a very powerful opening hey, whatever. show. Hey, whatever works. Shoot, if it works, do yeah. it. I mean, you know, for people to understand what this is and the gravity of it, uh, you know, people might be able to understand, again, a, a, a common theme in all of this is the relationship between African-Americans and the police. Yep. And that was... Even I, I heard someone talking about how it's often portrayed as a riot, a race riot, and it's not. It was it was a race people, war. Yeah, these people were just attacked on American soil by Americans. In the was that the twenties? Um, Nineteen twenty-one. Yeah, it'll be it'll be uh, hundred years next year, next Memorial Day. It's really the Watchmen show in general. It had some interesting to say. About the fall. I've heard, yeah, it's on my it's on my list. So yeah, I I'll try to recommend things if anyone asks me. I'm sure Damien would, but anything else you want to say before we call it good? Oh man, I I think we solved all the world's problems today, man. Thanks for having me on. I love the King's Herald. I appreciate everything you guys do, man. Thank you. And thanks for you're a very easy guest to have. So thank you for taking the time i know you're like i don't know if anyone podcasts always available man Pod, podcasts are what i do for a living brother i'm always available yeah nobody in history has ever podcasted more than you i firmly believe that yes. you you have 19 I'm, different I'm shows LeBron, you host. LeBron james in miami heat jersey for the first time not two not two not three not four not five that's that's me find Damien's Patreon. Um, you can find my Patreon that I never contribute to, but I think I have four subscribers to. <laughs> but yeah, thanks for joining me. Um, hopefully we'll have just like sports to talk about sometime soon, but in the meantime, keep yourself informed. Yeah. Talk about all this stuff. Talk to your family about it. You know, let's cause some change. I don't know what else to say besides that awkward silence, but I'll talk to you guys next week. Thanks for coming, Damien.